Cars on Call is a different car podcast. Two car guy physicians join noted automotive authority, Adams Hudson, to discuss car topics you won't find anywhere else. I'm Steve Schutz, and I've been publishing new car reviews for almost 30 years. Stefan Moran is a trauma surgeon who has published articles in the automotive safety literature and operated on countless car crash victims. And Adams Hudson is a now-retired successful businessman who has bought, sold, and owned over a hundred top-shelf enthusiast cars. Welcome to Cars on Call. Welcome to Cars on Call. I am Steve Schutz. I'm here with Adams Hudson, noted car authority and trauma surgeon Stefan Moran. Adams, how are you? I'm doing very good. I don't need a trauma surgeon right now. I'm just glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Stefan! I'm doing great. I'm down at neighbor neighbor's house. I'm warm and cozy. I've got my new on the air sign that's lit up. Viewers, you can't see it, but one of my buddies gave me a light that plugs into my laptop and it says on air, just like WKRPP or whatever it was. I'm, I'm on air and broadcasting. I'm loving it. There was just uh, one P on that WKRP and there was Lonnie <laughs> Anderson. And that's all we need to know about that show. Amen. <laughs> it was great. That was very seventies. It was very good. And Johnny fever, I think was the, the oh, DJ. Good. Yeah. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about today. And I have had the feeling for a while, and we've talked about this, that there are people out there who work for manufacturers who are listening to this show. And just to prove it, there's another example, guys. I went on the Porsche configurator last night just for fun. I was going to configure something. And we all spent a lot of time on the last uh, episode. We configured our Porsche Carrera T's, and we all picked something from the paint to sample menu where you scroll down, you click on it and your car appears painted in that color. Stefan, you were Eponema blue, a beautiful color. And uh, another blue was Adams with his Oslo blue. And of course I had the best looking one, Horatio. With bile. (laughs) Bile (laughs) green. So anyway, so I get on there and guys, there is no longer the option to click on a paint to sample color it says go to your dealer stefan that seems ridiculous well, you know what happened man our episode went completely viral we yeah. had over a million hits we crashed <laughs> the servers at porsche because we told our <laughs> listeners to go online do your paint the sample i don't know what they're doing but i mean you know think about the number of people that dream of having a porsche okay and uh, you know maybe one day i'll get one but to be able to go on and design your own cars, I mean, it's like every 15-year-old boy's dream, you know, besides designing your own cover girl. I mean, but it's, I, I don't know what happened while they, they dropped it down. And I ain't going into the Porsche dealer. I mean, you know, basically, if I can't pick the color, there's no more fun because, I mean, a color of the car is an emotional decision. And you pull the emotion out of the f- configurator, I really I no longer have any great interest in doing it anymore. Well, you know, and, and, and by the way, for all the people who uh, who went on there and maybe reporting, we know who you are and we have your names. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, I, I, I tend to wonder, and I feel like it's got to be some marketing pull by Porsche to say, okay, we're going to create an excuse for people to flood the showroom traffic, and that's well and good. And what I kind of suspect is going on is they're trying to switch them to something that's in inventory, 
you know, instead of the empanema blue or the whatever you chose, the uh, I think it was the biometallic. It, it, that would be, you know, the Porsche guy, he thinks he's really going to switch you over to one of the seven or eight silvers he has on the lot. Not so sure about that. You know, it's crazy, man. I mean, I agree with you. The dream, it, it's all action starts with some version of vision. So to visualize it, I mean, Lord Sherwin Williams will let you pick out the color you want to paint your blind. <laughs> Why can't we do it with the Porsche? I'm not, I'm not super clear on the strategy there. Steve, you got any in, insight on that? Not really. Uh, I think the bottom line is yes. Uh, they are trying to drive traffic to the showroom, but I just think it's stupid. I totally agree with Stefan. It doesn't make any sense. It makes a lot of sense to let customers do it so they can actually see the color. By the way, I have personal experience with this. I got to paint the sample color, which I talked about last week. And I mailed my dealer, my local dealer, and they don't get many paint to samples. And uh, I said, is Oslo Blue an approved paint to sample color? Because I could not find a list of approved paint to sample colors online. And of course, it was not available in the configurator. And he said, I don't know, I'll get back to you. And despite follow-ups, he never answered the question. So I had to go to a, I ended up buying from a different dealer. That wasn't the only reason, but there are dealers that number one, don't know. And number one, don't care. Well, it's, if you go to the configurators there, then that answers the question. So to me, it's the only way it should be. I totally agree with you, Steve. I mean, you know, these kind of cars, we can't all afford them. If you buy it, it's a once in a lifetime purchase. It's an emotional deal. You take the emotional aspect off of the configurator online and say go to the dealer that ain't happening people just aren't going to do the configurator and then maybe they'll move on and find something more exciting later on in their life that they're going to want because they could figure it online they finally built their dream car and they go in the dealer and they get it so i think it's a mistake i think it's a mistake too i just really don't don't completely follow what they're trying to get you to do because if they switch you to a, a is, is somebody who really wants that beautiful color going to be going to be switched that easily? And or do they even have cars in stock to sell them? Yeah, amen. That's a good point. Uh, right now with for 911s, they're not sitting on the lots. So that's for sure. So anyway, uh, another mistake. We have been talking literally at least from three old guys viewpoint is a mistake. OK, who, who have aspirated their lives. Some you guys have owned them. I haven't. But from our standpoint of aspiring to own one of these vehicles it's a flat-out mistake yeah i, I agree and we're, the, we're let's face it we're the demographic that is the owners so all right another mistake we've been talking uh, for a long time about broncos and the problems that ford has had with broncos and they can't make it i'll update the listeners we have been talking about one of my neighbors who ordered a bronco in 2020 and is still waiting it was going to be built and delivered by early January, and he got an email uh, like a week or so ago saying it's delayed again. So here we go. I read today that Ford is now offering people who are on the waiting list for a Bronco $2,500 if they buy something else. They're paying them to not buy their cars. I, I mean, you have to buy another Ford. But Adam said, doesn't that seem stupid? Also, yeah. Well, you know, and, and I, when I was looking at sort of the details of what's really holding them up, it's the hard top and then some of the, uh, yeah. you know, what you could you could actually have your Bronco without the hard top. I'm not sure why that's the hold up other than in bad weather. But then there were some that are like electronics packages. 
And you know, there, you know, once again, it's it's oddly related to the Porsche thing, trying to get you in the showroom to do something different. They're trying to get people to swap over to a less popular car, like a Bronco Sport. Does anybody out there who ordered what I call a real Bronco actually think a Bronco Sport is the same vehicle? Did that did they not read that closely enough? Yeah, that that one's I mean, yay Ford for having that many back orders, but just kind of shame on on you a little bit about taking people off their dream. Yeah, I guess Jim Farley's too busy out there racing professionally now to. Uh, so he's like, let's <laughs> come to in. work. So he's like, he can't get, he can't solve the problem because he's out racing cars, Mustangs. So he's like, yeah, just just give everybody twenty twenty five hundred bucks. You know, the F one fifty is the greatest selling number one vehicle in America for what the last forty three years. Just give them twenty five hundred bucks, they can buy something different. And I would not buy a Bronco with a soft top with four doors. I think that would just be a complete pain in the ass. I had a Jeep with a soft top. It's not pleasurable throughout the year. But the apparently their contractor, their sub that builds these tops just can't get it right, can't get them on time. And Ford is, you know, I kind of I, I kind of see this is they're putting out a little bit of an olive branch that one of their their subs can't meet demand. They can't deliver. And they're like, OK, guys. Well, I'm sorry. Here, we're going to give you 2500 $2, bucks. It's a lot better than saying, sorry, you can't configure what color you want anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's serious. That's what <laughs> that, you know. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really screwing the customer. No, I think I, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. As long as they have been building cars on an assembly line, which takes us back to the Model T, there have been supply chains. And I don't understand what the situation is now where all of a sudden, or for almost coming now on three years, they can't get their supply chain shit together. I don't understand it. I know we have more chips, so apparently it's not chips anymore. But why can't they find, by the way, this is not the first vehicle with a top. Yeah, right. You know, and if, if this was the Department of Defense waiting three years for something, we would be in significant trouble we usually wait longer than that and then it comes 10 times over budget and they don't give you off your 2500 bucks is with your airplanes but you know you're right i mean i guarantee the supplier that said they could provide these tops for the broncos will not be a supplier on the next round That's, at least yeah. it wouldn't for me i you know i'm surprised they just haven't given jack roush a call ingenuity on demand hey jack can you build us this top because you know jack could do it he'd do it overnight he would. He, it may not be the price that Porsche, uh, excuse me, Porsche, Porsche. <laughs> an, an easy mistake to make in this conversation, but maybe not at the price that Ford loves. But at this point, is it less expensive than paying people $2,500 to switch to a less popular vehicle? And yes, yeah, Steph, it's like, it's like uh, yeah, the, the deal with the color is you can get any color Bronco you want <laughs> as long as you don't plan on ever seeing it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's really well said. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Anyway, thumbs down to Ford. That's all I can say. You know, yeah. they give you twenty five hundred dollars, you got to buy, buy a Bronco Sport or an Edge. I mean, seriously. Hey, a quick note: I actually saw my first uh, Bronco Raptor uh, two days ago, and uh, looks pretty. You know, it looks like a Bronco, except it's got those things in the fenders, and it's obviously wider. The tires stick out more. Uh, it does look pretty badass. I think so. I've never seen one in the wild. I've I've seen the photos, and it really it's just a whole lot more muscular stance. Everything about it looks beefed up. Yeah, it's cool. And and before we leave the subject, 
you can't put your $2,500 toward a lightning or a Raptor or even a tremor. So they, they do limit where you can spend that money. So anyway, um, let's move on. And uh, Adams, you saw something cool. You spotted a car uh, that, that I think is very, very cool. Just tell us about it. I, I'm psyched. You know, this is one, and, and, and it's funny that you'd be psyched because it would be almost considered a little bit of a fringe element car, probably an up-and-coming collectible, but you never see these things anymore. I saw a VW Corrado. Oh, nice. Cool. Nice. Very yeah. cool car. You know, that was a taut little design. You just don't see them out there very much. I think they made them like from 88 to 95. And it, it followed the uh, the Scirocco. I think we all remember the Scirocco. Which oh, was- my, one of my roommates in college had a Scirocco. It was, a, it was the greatest car ever, unless you're riding the back seat. <laughs> yeah, which was <laughs> like non-existent. Yeah. You know, that like dwells super briefly on the Scirocco, that front end to me always reminded me of the Lamborghini Espada, which, of course, was another Giugiaro design. But the the uh, the follow up, the Corrado was was designed basically in house, Herbert Schaefer, and it was a totally different chassis. It wasn't a cross chassis car like the Scirocco, I think, shared with a rabbit at the time, if I'm not mistaken. True. But it was it was a cool car, and it had a first when I started digging into this. It had a first I had completely forgotten about, the uh, speed-deployed rear spoiler. Yes. It was a first on the Corrado. And I think it's a tough little car, and if you, you guys remember, yeah, I'm sure you do, that they made a supercharged version called the G-Lauder, which was maybe 150, 160 horse. And then they had the VR6, which I think is just one of the slickest engine design platforms ever i mean the right. vr6 was a tough little power plant that could cost you once they got up into the into the uh, miles but just just what a what a neat motor and i think that was probably touching 180 190 horse but but you know it's enough power in that little car yeah you know see the vr6 is an amazing engine so for listeners you know you've got a v you've got a straight inline six and then you've got a v6 which is like a v8 but Volkswagen came out with the V6, but it's a narrow angle at 15 degrees. And what that allowed them to do was to cram a six-cylinder engine in transversely, which means across, you know, following the same axis as the, the uh, front tires rather than longitudinal. And they were able to get a, a six-cylinder engine into these small cars. And that was a huge step. And um, that angle, narrow angle V6 is a really cool technologically advanced engine. But man, this car was, you know, back in the day, that thing was $27,000 in 1992, which today that's $57,000. I mean, this car got rave reviews. Everybody, buddy loved it, but they're like, damn, is it expensive? And it's, it was too expensive at the time. Yeah. That's my memory of it too. It was really a lot of money. I had a eighties GTI, which I absolutely loved as a rabbit GTI. And I was uh, looking at something like the Corrado. But um, two things happened. Number one, by the time I could finally afford car payments on it, I had two kids. So that was that. (laughs) I was in the back seat. Uh, But the other thing was, it really was expensive. I mean, you know, it's it's really BMW 3 Series money at that point for a Volkswagen. Uh, So that was a big problem. I think that really hampered sales. But it it was certainly a very cool car. And Stefan... It was the same axis as the axle, not the tires. <laughs> I 
<laughs> I know what you meant. I mean, you're right. You're right. Front, for I know no what you meant. in a front wheel drive car. I mean, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, you know the tires. To say it's, 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 that's longitudinal a transverse. It's, it's a transverse, yes. transverse V6 versus a longitudinal V6. Um, but say, I, I was trying to explain so listeners could understand. For those, I know we have some listeners that aren't, you know, car <laughs> total car freaks. They're here to hear the other stuff. But I was trying to explain it in a well, way. Stefan that I, I failed on like, that. He just has so many engineering terms flowing into his head. He just couldn't keep them all straight. It's, it's parallel with the front bumper. All right. There so, you go. Perfect. I, yes. I got, a, I got a funny thing I came across yeah. with the, with the uh, Corrado. The, you know, the, the, the G Lauder, I was looking up what did G for the G Lauder, you know, the, uh, the, the supercharged version, what did that stand for? And most of the owners who had these cars contended that the G stood for grenade. <laughs> oh geez! <laughs> because at about fifty thousand miles, that thing was done for. It was shrapnel. Well, you know what the S. You know the, when it came over here to the U.S., it was the Corrado VR6 SLC. You know what the SLC oh. stood for? Sport luxury Sports coupe. Light coupe. Yeah. Sport luxury coupe. Yep. Oh, that's it. I didn't know that, and that's uh, it's not luxurious. No, absolutely not. I guess they were trying to justify the twenty-seven grand in nineteen ninety-two. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you certainly. I tell you, Adam, you see very few of those. I mean, it's just it's just a rare, rare sight. There were only about there were fewer than a hundred thousand of those, and there were five hundred thousand Chiracos. Oh, wow! Wow! I do want to talk about the Chiraco later. Uh, this year, nineteen seventy-three. So it's fifty years ago is when the Chiraco launched. So we'll have to talk about that at some point, but. Not today. Today was the Corrado's time in the sun on Cars on Call. <laughs> so <laughs> that is that is really cool. So, hey, something that's to me really important in the collector car world is popping in the news. And for whatever reason, odometer fraud is on the rise. And we've always heard about it. Most famously, the most famous odometer fraud I can think of was on Ferris Bueller's day off when they put the put the Ferrari California up and they put it reverse and that that whiny back the odometer did not go well. I guess it's I thought with with these new odometers, I thought you couldn't mess with them anymore, but I guess that's not true. I know somebody have some kid in the basement's code hacking that shit. I mean they're just writing it, they plug it into the OBD2 and boom, there you go. They've reprogrammed it. Yeah, I, you know, I like you. I thought it was kind of a thing of the past. I thought it was too many hidden, sneaky electronics coded into something that could not be undone. But Steph, you're you're exactly right. It's apparently way easier to be done than anybody would have guessed. You know, back in the mechanical role back days, you could just imagine, okay, we just get in there and flip the numbers around. But this is probably at least as easy, if not easier. Hey, in 1976, I was visiting my uncle uh, Michel in France. And I spent the whole summer there. My mother's French. Some of the listeners may know that. And I went over there and he was selling one of his, he was selling his wife's car. And he, he, this is a guy that could sell a refrigerator and a washer. Somebody didn't have electricity yet. So he, he was a real salesman, but he 
I watched him roll back the speedometer, and then he had the audacity. I was sitting in his lap. Yeah, this is my little nephew from America, and this was his grandmother's car. She only drove it to church, and this bullshit just flowing out of his mouth. And he, but he rolled back that speedometer. But the person drove off with the car, a low mileage car that was not driven by his mother, is driven by his wife, and it was a high mileage car. But you know, <laughs> oh, my, is he out of prison yet? <laughs> Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago, but no. <laughs> wow. This is, but this is, you know, it's kind of a joke. If, you, if you're talking about uh, a 2012 Ford Fusion, you know, nobody really cares. You get in there electronically, I guess, and you can hack in. But Adams for collector cars, this is a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. And I think it's just that trickle down theory, you know, like you said, the 2012 could could be a car that would, you know, increase in, in value, of course. And I think the, the Department of Justice said that somewhere around four thousand dollars people are overpaying for relatively newer cars. Uh, but in 2017, there was a rollback on a customer's Ferrari, La Ferrari, dumbest what? automotive name ever. Um, but they they rolled it back from I don't I never could find exactly how many had been on it, but maybe in the in the 16,000 ish miles and rolled it back to almost zero, increasing the car's value as an estimate of seven hundred thousand dollars for rolling. Wow, it. I mean, and that takes it from a car that you you can own and drive versus a car you can own and never drive. You know, yeah. at that low mileage, it means you'll never drive it. Yeah. How, how did they get caught? Well, it's very interesting. There was a, uh, a a salesperson at the time who um, blew the whistle on it because he didn't approve of it, didn't like it. Uh, he pointed it out to the other technicians. They didn't approve of it. They didn't like it. They brought it to the service manager's attention. Uh, he had a bit of a fit, and I, he may have let the tech go who did it, who took cash payment, by the way, to roll this odometer back for an extremely prominent collector who did not need the money, obviously, if he has a LaFerrari, but it's just a greed situation. And the salesperson who blew the whistle was promptly let go, which did not sit very well with him. And he filed suit. And wow. uh, it's it's still cooking as far as anyone knows. Uh, that was like in 2018 that he filed. And here here's the scary part. So, so this sounds like we're about to get cars on call in hot water, but I'm just quoting what's online is that Ferrari knew this because he had to tap into the Ferrari computer to be approved to roll the miles back. So there was some tacit approval, I think would be the legal term to get us out of any issue, but uh, tacit approval by Ferrari, which of course they vehemently denied, but they said that it that functionality existed in the odometer in the case of speedometer error, or maybe if there was a speedometer, you had to swap out one for the other. There, there was some reasoning, but now they have, quote, disabled that feature. Just like social media, man, that stuff stays out there forever on somebody's server and it can be found. I mean, that's just that's terrible. Yeah. The thing that, that, that I don't understand is you roll back the miles on a Ford Fusion. Nobody knows or cares. There are very few LaFerraris out there. They all have a digital fingerprint. We all know. If you go to any car dealer for regular service, they write down the miles and you have your VIN. You can find out that this VIN for that LaFerrari has been in for service eight times to a Ferrari dealer. And they write down, even if they don't write it down, somebody knows the mileage. The original owner would know the miles. He'd say, hey, listen, I owned that car. 
I, I, I sold it when I had 15,000 miles. It's so easy to get caught with that kind of a car. Definitely. That car will have a black eye for its entire life. But you know, it happens on a, on a, on a, a more mundane level as well. I mean, it's, it's Carfax was reporting that it's up like seven or eight or 10%, depending on which, which stats you look at. And that, um, California, Texas, New York are the biggest defenders. Florida's in there. And these numbers of rollbacks are up 10 and 15%, like in uh, Florida and Texas, which to me just tells me that some criminals were getting rich or richer off of it, and the word got out. And- hey, Adams, you mentioned those statistics. So I looked at that page, and that was just they, – they gave the raw numbers. So what I did was I took the raw numbers and divided it by registrations by state. So like I've said on the show before, I don't care what the numerator is. Give me a numerator denominator. Signal That's why you're the ratio. science guy. That's <laughs> why I'm the nerd on the show. But so I look, I did the numbers and I ran registrations in the state versus the numbers of rollbacks. So California leads the country at 3.1 vehicles per hundred registrations. Texas is right behind at three per hundred. And then Arizona jumped way up at 2.2 per hundred, followed by New York City at two per hundred. So it was interesting when you look at the initial statistics, you know, the numbers are different, but you, add in the registrations and yeah, but California stayed number one, but the Arizona popped up there and as well as Texas. That is crazy. And like you, Steve, you were, you were saying, you know, is anybody going to know or care, but you figure, you know, somebody drops 30, 40 grand on a used vehicle, doesn't think any less of it, doesn't pull a car fax possibly and drives off, you know, blissfully unaware that their, their car has twice as many miles on it. And they start having all these repairs and, issues and difficulties and then they find out maybe and they can't unload the car and then you know its value drops under their ownership it's 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 like who do you point the finger at once you find out well you know california they don't care as long as an ev that you know they, they're only after the internal combustions out there so the evs are fine you know but but hey <laughs> <laughs> they'll they'll be our rollbacks on those i guess <laughs> that'll be the next crime all right. Well, it's interesting. Uh, rollbacks are are up. Uh, that's a big numbers, uh, Adams. I can't believe it's up that much. I guess this is something they just can't quite get a handle on. It's uh, anyway. Uh, I guess Stefan, a good segue. EVs at the Consumer Electronics Show uh, recently in Las Vegas, the Ram fifteen hundred Revolution was launched, and this is a uh, an electric, a, a full electric, battery electric vehicle truck by Ram. First out of the gate, as we all know, was a Ford F-150 Lightning, followed a year or so later by the Silverado BEV. Uh, both of those are on sale. They're kind of trickling out into the streets. Now this the Ram 1500. And this is an interesting car. It's going to be on sale in 2024. So not even this year, sometime next year, presumably early next year. A couple things about it. Uh, the first one is kind of creepy, guys. Has a shadow mode, and guys, going to comment on that. You can walk around, and the truck will follow you. Isn't that why construction guys have dogs? I mean, the dog follows you around <laughs> the construction site. I'm not, I don't want. I don't want a truck following me. I saw that shadow mode. I think that's just. I think it's just like I think that's SEMA consumer kind of just like show what we can do technology. But I will say, I could not find the way to the Ram EV, but it looks good and. I got, I was coming home from work yesterday 
and I saw a truck coming down behind me, and I'm like, those are weird headlights. Well, it was an F-150 Lightning. Other than that, it looked just like an F-150. If I'm going to buy an EV, it's got to look like George Jetson. It's got to be something weird looking. <laughs> well, and I think that maybe, maybe the right, the happy medium, I think, is somewhere between the Lightning and the Cybertruck, which looks completely insane. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and maybe yeah, the Ram is maybe the Ram is that one. It's it it looks it looks different from the the regular Ram. It's a I little bit Rivian esque. I mean, yeah. I and I I thought it was a I thought it's a beautiful design. I'll tell you this: I think it's a very smart move on Stellantis's part to bring out. I mean, because you know Rams have always been these big ass you know, scare you going down interstate. They come in your rearview mirror, these giant trucks. This just looks like a new, clean EV truck design similar to a Rivian. And I, I admire them for doing that. And I have to imagine this is on a completely different platform. This is not a modified platform like the F-150 Lightning was. So I give Stellantis a lot and Ram a lot of credit. They're a little bit late to the show. But they're not that late to the show, and I think this thing's going to sell. They're going to sell all of these that they can make because it 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 fits the bill for what an EV truck owner is looking for. I have to agree. I, mean, I tell you, I think Steve, you nailed it. It's, it's sort of like not as it, you, the the F one fifty looks too normal. I agree with both of you guys. It just looks too normal. You don't really know, and it's almost like when ZR one and the Corvette. It was like you couldn't even hardly tell unless you saw the tail lights, but. The Rivian is a little extreme. I mean, it's got a little bit of that Michelin man look in, in the face. I think the Ram is good looking. The Revolution is just a very attractive silhouette. And the mention of, of Elon Musk's truck, I mean, that looks like it was drawn by maybe a, a, a five-year-old who should not pursue <laughs> art as a career. Look how long that thing's been in gestation. So he sort of, he flares around and talks about how cool it's going to be. And I like Tesla as a company. I think Tesla's done some remarkable, almost impossible things. But man, that Ram is attractive in its profile. It's attractive front and rear. Uh, the 18-foot pass-through, I don't know if like maybe you need to take your catamaran mast with you somewhere. I don't know why you need 18 feet. But I don't love the the shadow mode is about the creepiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, we we I've been driving forty years. I've never said, "Dang it, I wish my car was following me." <laughs> <laughs> I agree totally. It's just, you're right. It's creepy. It's just it's like, oh, what the hell? And you you know, I mean, no, you don't like anybody. You know, in the military, we say, "Check your six. You know, six o'clock behind you. You're looking behind you constantly for for bad guys. For those of us that have served, I, I don't want a damn truck following me around because it's going to make me nervous. Okay? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just don't want it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little weird. Uh, you know, don't forget to shut the door after you follow me into the house. So it's it's a weird it's a weird thing. I'll say two things. Uh, well, I gotta gotta go through a couple. Of, there's a couple of things that are cool, so I do want to mention them. But I'll say very quickly, and I have to give all the credit to uh, writer and comedian Spike Ferriston because. He absolutely changed how I think because every time I hear the word Stellantis, I think of Spike Ferrison's line where he said, call your doctor if you have an erection for four hours after taking Stellantis. Well, that's, <laughs> that's about the funniest damn thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's really funny. So, so uh, oh, Now I'm going to hear that every time. Right. 
And I got something else to say. You you can't unhear that. There's something we can't unsee, which we'll get to. But uh, very quickly, Intelligent Storage app. This is pretty cool on the, the RAM revolution. The app measures objects uh, with your phone and will tell you if they fit into various parts of the truck, which is pretty cool. There's something called the RAM charger. The RAM. Charger how many times have we? How many times you've been in the parking lot trying to cram a box right. into the back of your car through the hatch? That's 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 very cool. It's very cool. Uh, there's something called the RAM charger. We remember the RAM charger SUV from the 70s and 80s, but the RAM charger for this truck is a robot in your garage, and it has inductive charging. And it you you pull into your garage. This robot lifts up and connects, kind of clicks with your uh, Ram truck and charges it instead of plugging in uh, a plug uh, and cool. having a cord, which is really cool. And the most impressive thing, and this is something I wish someone had done earlier, the Ford F-150 Lightning does have a huge frunk for storage, which is great. The Ram Charger Revolution has an extended pass-through. So you can put something in the bed and it, it goes all the way into the frunk. So it's a really long, basically... You can close the tailgate on something that's way longer than would fit in the bed. It goes all the way up to the front. That's really cool. I love the charging system idea. Who knew when there was a Ram Charger vehicle back whenever that was made that its name would be even far more pertinent in the future to be the Ram Charger? That That's slick. It's very clever. And finally, this is something that has not been announced in any of the competition Third row jump seats, if in case you need them. That's cool. Yeah, so, that'll sell. Yeah. So anyway, that's it for the Ram Charger. And before we move on, we have to get to uh, to safety. There is something that I saw. Actually, my partner, uh, Jeff Banks, sent me this, and it was from Bring a Trailer somehow. But this was a BMW i8 for sale. The i8 is kind of a supercar. Uh, it's a weird supercar that never so well because it looks like a supercar. It has these the 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 doors that open you know up and are very cool, but it's powered by a hybrid system and the engine of the hybrid system comes from a mini. There's just nothing. It never sold because everyone's like, oh come on, it's 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 not a sophisticated cool uh, hybrid system. You know, you look at the La Ferrari hybrid it has an actual Ferrari engine that has more power from a hybrid. The i8 had a little mini engine. It just was sad. But <laughs> what it said was, if you look at the rear end, it looks like it's giving birth to a 911. I never occurred. So I, I'm like, that's ridiculous. And then I looked at it. It's true. It, <laughs> I, I didn't want to look at it when you described that picture. And then I saw it. And you're right. I couldn't unsee it. It was just, it was just emblazoned on the back of my brain. But, you know, that, that car has so many intersecting and floating planes uh it, it would be a very difficult car to draw from memory an i8 because it's just it, it's like well where does the, the the rear fender stop well it sort of floats above the uh, rear fascia which sort of floats above it's just an odd sort of design not unattractive but just not gelled i hate to say that now that i can see a 911 being birthed from its rear end is the most memorable thing an i8 has ever done <laughs> Stefan, you must have thoughts about that car. I don't. I really don't want to just like just gross my listeners out. But the, <laughs> of all the things I did in medicine, and surgery, it wouldn't be the I first just, time. It would not be. Of all the things I did in medicine, it was a. It's a long story, but I had to go in the middle of the night and for a baby being born, and 
I already didn't like OBGYN at that time. And after that evening, it was like, I just, yeah, the whole thought of birthing just is like, just is like, I just can't deal with it. I just, and when you when I saw that, it was like, oh God, it was just, yep. Yeah, I, I see it, but I don't like it. And it's awful. And it's just, I, it's bad. Canceled his 9-11 order immediately. It's it's actually one more reason to not like the i8, and I'm a BMW fan, as as you all know. And and there's just something about the i8. It came out the same time as the i3, and it was BMW trying to really be avant garde with new technology. And the i3 still, you know, ten or so years after it came out, pretty forward looking vehicle. If you if you drive to and from work, which one of my partners does, it makes tons of sense. You never go to the gas station. And you charge it at night. It's great. It's not good for long trips, but who cares? You have something else. It, it really fits. The i8, though, was supposed to be basically a hypercar. It was supposed to be this, you know, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Porsche competitor. And it just wasn't. I now have to think back, you know, when 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 I sort of banged on the X5M pretty hard. And now on this i8, I don't want to give listeners the view or opinion that that I do not appreciate BMW nor respect them. I respect the heck out of them. We've just picked a couple of cars that maybe not high on my list because they're incredibly innovative. They're super engineers. They have done all they ever wanted to do, production car, racing car, et cetera. Some beautiful classics out of BMW. A Z8 is probably on the top, top, top list of maybe just three cars that I would call a bucket list forever type car. But the I-8 just missed the mark in so many ways. They were kind of close in four or five ways, but it just it just missed. I think the Z8 is actually a great counterpoint to the I-8. And with the I-8, they took this great design and they said, let's try to make it futuristic and give it a futuristic powertrain, which it was, but they took out the soul. The Z8 was exactly the opposite. They took the E39 M5, this honking V8 with a six-speed manual. And they took that chassis and they put a beautiful retro a roadster on it. So they took this the soul of, a, of an M5, the best M5, most people think, and they they took that, which is a great foundation, and they put a beautiful car on top of it. Wow. Perfectly said. And BMW, if you're listening, follow that formula again. Yeah, they need to do something because their latest designs are geez, geez. Yeah. And Stefan, do not be afraid. You can look at the Z8 from any angle and nothing is being born. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Except desire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By the way, I love that. You know, I love talking about that last week, Adams, where you said that such a difference in price. You know, it was a Topaz Blue that went for like more than $100,000, more than a silver one, even though it had more miles. I found that fascinating. So, anyway, if any listener has not seen a Z8, go look at it. It's beautiful. So, all right, time for safety. Stefan, what do you have for us? You know, I always fall back on the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. And I just want to say once again that because of IIHS, there have been more lives saved than, I mean, any other testing done. Because even though they're working for insurance companies and they want to mitigate risk and payouts, they really at the forefront are considering the occupants of a vehicle and what can be done to minimize the death and carnage that occurs in vehicles. And they started looking at thinking, we've got all these small SUVs out there. They just, the crossovers have overcome the market. 
there's a lot of backseat passengers in these vehicles. These are parents taking kids to school, to soccer practice, to the gym, to dance. And they got to thinking, you know, the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards and our test have only ever looked at front seat passengers. And they said, you know what? It's time that we think about what happens to people in the back seat. And we did some studies looking at this early on in my career, and backseat passengers always fared poorly because the vehicles just aren't designed. They're not tested for them, so manufacturers do what they think they need to do, but not always what's in the interest. Well, so IIHS decided to start putting crash dummies in the backseat. So what they decided was in probably the most common accident that you're going to see is what's called the moderate overlap frontal test. So this is done by IIHS and NHTSA where they, they crash a, a vehicle at 40 miles an hour into a deformable barrier. So NHTSA does a concrete barrier. IIHS says we don't want the, the thing that you crash into to be more like a car. So it's this aluminum honeycomb structure that you crash, they crash the vehicles into. And it's 40 miles an hour that they crash it. And it's a partial overlap where 40% of the width of the vehicle strikes the barrier. Normally, there's always a hybrid three man in the front seat. It's not a woman, um, which I've always had an issue with. I've mentioned that in my previous podcast. But so what they decided to do was in the cars that they're doing this test in, they're going to put a hybrid three dummy in the back that represents a small woman or a 12-year-old child position the second row behind the driver because since there's a funnel offset on the driver's side they put the occupant behind the driver where the the majority of the impact occurs and found some very interesting things that while the car may be get their best rating for the front seat passengers not so much the case for the back seat it was not good what was happening in the back seat and if you think about what's happening in the in the back seat versus the front seat in our cars today, the front seats have seatbelt pretensioners. And what that means is when the car senses a crash, it fires, it can fire a spring, an explosive, but it tightens the belt against you. And then as you ride down that crash, that seatbelt actually starts to spool out a little bit to give you a greater time to then impact the airbag and not have all these chest injuries. What they found that was less than half of new vehicles had advanced restraint systems in the rear seat. So cars don't have these things in the rear seats, but certain manufacturers do have them in the rear seats. So they decided to test and look at this and some very interesting stuff came up. And they noticed that some seat belts were moving across the pelvis up across the abdomen, which causes abdominal injuries. And chest injuries went up in certain vehicles. And when they came and looked at all the results, there's really only one vehicle out of all these. So we're talking about the Ford Escape, the Volvo XC40, the RAV4, the Q3, the Rogue, the Forester, the Encore, Equinox, on down the list. The only two vehicles that were even good or acceptable were the XC40 and the Escape. All the others were poor. So this, man, I was like, I was like thinking to myself, holy mackerel, that, you know, if you decide to buy one of these mini SUVs and you're carting your kids around in the back or adults or somewhere, 
that this is your daily driver, you know, you, you want to look, pick a vehicle, you pick a vehicle that he says gets a five-star review. Well, that's for you in the front seat. That's not for the people in the back seat. And if you're transporting your kids around, now with IIHS's testing, you can go online at their website and you can find the vehicle that's going to protect your kids in the back seat. And basically, it's going to be, it's, you really only have two choices. So going back a little bit, what's happened is that they've made cars so good with the way they crumple in the front that the restraints inside have become more and more important. Um, but a couple of bad things happened in this test. Like the Jeep Renegade, the kid's heads came below the side air curtain and hit the C-pillar, which is the pillar at the back of the door. That was happening. Um, seatbelts were coming up. The Mazda CX-5 had problems with the seatbelt riding as well. And that's why, you know, what I talked about on some of our earlier shows, when you put kids in the back seat that are a little bit younger, if they fall within the booster seat, the idea is that you want the seatbelt to fit them like it fits you in the front seat. It's got to ride low on the pelvis. You don't want that shoulder belt going across their neck. So all these, this study and this new way that IIHS is doing these tests, to me, this is a real service to all of us that want to buy a vehicle in this class. We're going to be caring our kids about. We worry about them. We worry about us. And now here's the data to help you pick the vehicle. And what's going to happen, which we've seen throughout IIHS, this is history and the way they test vehicles is the other manufacturers are going to see basically that they suck protecting backseat passengers and they're going to change their vehicles. And that is how our, I mean, I just, I just love it. I just for what they do is that they're making it safer for the people in the vehicles by doing testing that's reproducible and accurate with the numbers and the science to back it up. So I guarantee you that these other manufacturers within a year or two are going to change what they do in the back seat so that when their vehicle comes up tete-a-tete with the XC40 and the Ford Escape, they're going to be just as good as those other vehicles. So IIHS.org is the website. Go take a look at this. It's right on their front page. I think it's it's amazing. They've been working on this for a couple of years and the data is now starting to roll out. And I think it, it can help you pick a vehicle if you're in the shopping for the small SUV crossover and plan on having your kids in the back seat. Just take a serious look at this. I think most uh, most of those crossovers you mentioned are bought by uh, young parents with young children. And uh, this information is so important. Stefan, thank you. Uh, the fact that you're a trauma surgeon and have actually seen the results of these car crashes, I think gives your uh, remarks extra weight. And uh, I, I am really so interested to hear what you had. I, I just love that. It was, it was really good. Let me say a couple things. There's a surgeon who I work with who years ago, not, not that long, but you know, years ago, his wife was driving their BMW sedan. It was a five series and she was T-boned and their young child in the back uh, took the brunt of it and was killed. Backseat does not get all the attention that it should. And Stefan, you, you've spoken previously about don't have kids sitting next to each other because uh, their heads can bang together. All of these anecdotes, plus what you've seen and operated on, Stefan, it really emphasizes the fact that there has not been the attention on the rear seat that there should have been. You know, in my career, 
I took care of a lot of kids. And so it just breaks your heart when you take care of these kids. But there's patterns that occur in car crashes that don't always make the news. And, you know, we did, I have spoken about where you place passengers in the rear for safety, getting in and out of the vehicles. And once again, I applaud IHS for actually now putting some data to showing parents what they need to think about in the rear seat. But you're right, the T-bone is most likely the collision you're going to be in. And, you know, that's why they, we recommend if you're going to put a kid in the back seat, they go on the, behind the passenger side, not the, not the driver's side. Because that's T-bone, you're, you're going through a yellow light or a red light or a green light. Somebody else misses the stop sign. They're going to hit you on the driver's side. So you want your kid on the passenger side so they don't get hit. And then you don't want your kids sitting next to each other because when that collision occurs, their heads are going to strike each other. So all these things are um, lessons learned that don't make it to the people that are getting putting their kids in and out of the back. And it's something you need to think about when you put these your, your children and your grandchildren in the back seat of a car. Do they need to be in a booster? Put them in the booster. The best seat is in the middle. If you've got multiple kids, you put them on an outboard seat left and right. You know, bigger kids, you want to let them out on the passenger side so they're not stepping out in the traffic. But these are things that that are important, and we got to take care of the ones we love. And just this is more data to help you make an informed decision and kind of push that little bit of emotion aside. Oh, I really want the Jeep, man. It looks cool. I'm going to be out in the country. I'm I'm going to be four wheeling. Which and, and no, you're not. Those vehicles. You, you may dream of that lifestyle, but that's not what happens when you buy these vehicles. But hey. And I'm not a big Ford guy or Chevy guy, but you know what? If you look at the Ford versus the Chevy or the Volvo versus the Toyota, or blah, you know, go down the list. You're like, geez, this is my kid's life. I'm, you know what? I'll get a Ford. I'll spend the extra money for the Volvo. You know, you can't put a price on a life. And I think this is just more data to help you make an informed choice. Well, it's incredible data, too, because, you know, people, you know, we talk about cars and we're car guys because cars are fun. They're entertaining. They're interesting. They're they're all those things. And people don't like to think about this topic. But the the sad reality is, is that it's out there. It's out there tens of thousands of times per year. And, you know, that's why they call them accidents. Nobody really plans on it. But, you know, if you if you're armed with knowledge and information and the tips like Steph mentioned, you know, it just adds to the enjoyment and sort of reduces a little bit of your your anxiety about driving around. Steph, I find it interesting, you know, when they're talking about five-star safety standards, you know, when that was touted, I presume that's an aggregate number of like all the different things from rollover, rear end, front end, et cetera. When are they going to blend into that aggregate, the rear seat occupancy safety? So now IIHS is blending that in and they're reporting that and they're they're starting to move that direction, which I do applaud them. But you know, I want you I want to go back a little bit. As you mentioned cars and purchases, and Steve always brings up the great point that when you buy a vehicle, most of us were just buying a tool. So if you're a construction guy, you need a truck. If you're taking kids back and forth to school, picking them up, taking a dance class, that's a tool. So you have to buy the vehicle to fit the needs, just like you would an appropriate tool. And sometimes we get emotional in our automotive car purchases, especially the second or third car. But if you're buying truly a tool, this is the data you kind of need to make sure you buy the best tool for the job that you need to do with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
And if part of that tool includes having your truck follow you on the job site, I think we've got truck <laughs> <in here. laughs> Very good. All right. With that, we will wrap up this episode of Cars on Calls to Find. Close us out. <laughs> hey, listeners, thanks for I'll be laughing down. about that for a while, Adams. <laughs> hey, listeners, thanks for shutting down the Porsche building site with your own color on your car. <laughs> I appreciate all the listeners going there and cranking out their own 911Ts. Like, listen, tell your friends about it, and uh, leave a review, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>